Well, hello, everyone. I'm live only on Mixer right now because uh, my special, special Discord isn't opening. It will in just a second. I just have to close down the, the goofy instances of it. Hold up. We got this. We got this. I'm good at it. I'm the best. Okay. Just got to close those down. Open it back up. Saf, Mr. Foose. Hello. How's it going? Sander, welcome back. Two Power, how's it going? Courtney, Two Power is a new name. Welcome. Uh, 22, how are you? I think I spotted up before. You're from Australia, yeah? Okay. And I'm here. Oh boy. I don't know why I don't want to connect to video, that's for sure. It's for dangle, sure. How's it going, Discord? Sorry I came in a little hot. I know I probably did. Uh, things were going weird with Discord before, so I'm trying to avoid that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Permissions. Yeah, the video wasn't even a thing beforehand, so... I have to fix that now. Speak view channel. Okay, that should be good. Good, 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 good. Cool. Okay, there we go. Yeah, uh, Discord is really, really uh, diverse in its abilities. I've been very pleased with it so far. Great way to communicate with people. Discord. Hello, Heart Hook, Joseph, Muffin Man, Sander, Violet. How are y'all doing? How's everybody? <laughs> My Bulma the best you listen as you cook fantastic rachel yeah my bulma that's a new word that's a new word that's a new name and a new one henny welcome back odd man how's it going tuna hello as per usual how's everybody doing how's everyone's week gone what have you done this week what interesting things have y'all done this week hopefully something i know i'm look last week was not my best week for interesting things done in a week that's okay <laughs> that's all right i'm totally fine with it we had an excellent session today a very interesting uh sort of wrap up to a shorter story arc um a bit of a mystery not solved but certainly progressed with on chat plays dungeon world um a super fun time i'm having with that every week uh i really really enjoy rpgs i would love to do more of that sort of thing here on the channel um, i'm looking for the best ways to do that and it seemed like this project you know matched up with what you can do with mixed play has been uh that's the interesting thing I did this week, honestly. I leveled up some characters, I put together some more panels and such, and uh, if you're on Mixer right now, you can just dig around in there if you wish. Um, you can feel free to, to jump in and take a look around. I've seen a decent number of new names. Yeah. Freya Hawk, that's a cool name too. Um, let's see. St uh, Mr. Foo says, started watching Avatar The Last Airbender all over again. Excellent. By the way, everybody, let me know how my audio sounds right now. Um, it should be okay. I think it's okay, but um, let me know if it sounds like tinny or anything. I don't know if there's a lot I'm going to be able to do about it tonight. Um, I've had uh, a bit of an audio issue. I'm not sure, honestly, exactly what the problem is, um, but it will help me to troubleshoot if y'all can be specific with, uh, uh, you know, how my audio sounds. 22, thank you very much. I appreciate the... Uh I appreciate the host. But uh, yeah, Les Airbender is a great one to start over again a number of times. 
Uh, <laughs> Saf says, I feel like all I do is wait for this stream every week. Hey, me too. Hope you're keeping well and safe. I am, yeah. Uh, methods of rationality. I don't think I recognize that one. Harry Potter and the methods of rationality. Uh, first time catching the stream, Holly Rose. Welcome. How are you? Welcome to the stream. Welcome to Harry Potter. We're reading today. Let's do it. Um, bake desserts every day. Uh, congratulations or um, stay safe to power, I guess I would say. If I was cooking desserts every day, that means I would be short on dessert every night. I don't intend to let desserts sort of live as long as they should. I tend to cut those lifespans a little too short for my own good. Audio's fun on Discord? Okay, fantastic. Um, been catching up on YouTube and the books, but I've heard them so many times. Happy to be here. Fantastic, Freya. Welcome. I'm super excited to see new faces. Love them. Audio solid? Good. Very good to hear. Okay. Um, audio's good. It might just be me, but it sort of sounds like the audio is like a millimeter more to the right than to the left. Oh, that's weird. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, Fantasy Grounds. I certainly shall. I'm familiar with Roll20, but I haven't done much with Fantasy Grounds, so I'll take a look at it. Um, uh, I would love to eventually, um, yeah, you know, we've got all these people free. Well, I'll, I'll, you know what? What the heck? I'll just, I'll, I'll put it out there. I don't have any plans for it yet, but I would really love to get people, um, you know, my, my dream would be to participate in kind of a Critical Role style show, um, either as a player or as a DM. I find myself really enjoying uh, DMing more often or GMing, depending on the game. Um, I find I enjoy that. Or I should say I miss that more. I really enjoy playing them too, but I miss DMing more than I miss playing when I'm not doing another one of them. Courtney baked some cookies. So you have to bake them two days in a row because people enjoyed it so much. Fantastic. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a good record to have. Henny has a Harry Potter fanfic. Okay, explores the world. Except Harry's basically a sociopathic genius, I see, okay. So, with a twist. Yeah, there was a celebrity read-through of book one. There's been a celebrity read-through of um, uh, some Lord of the Rings stuff as well. I believe Andy Serkis did a, a great one for... I haven't listened to it, but I know Andy Serkis enough. Yeah. Well, Freya Hawk, yeah, if you want to if you want to see the the project that we're working on as a predecessor to the critical role style stuff, I mean it's my own it's my own version of of something like that. Uh Chat Plays Dungeon World that runs at 1 p.m. every Thursday, so 3 hours before this starts for you. Um I do that, so definitely jump in. Um it's been super super enjoyable so far and uh i'm really digging the story i was a little worried i had been gming for uh, a game called stars without number for the most part uh, over the past couple of years and uh like that was just the, the one i had i think the most like overall that's the one i've had the most experience in and i was a little nervous that my my gm skills were slipping on the fantasy side but uh this chat plays dungeon world thing i have really enjoyed the arena and building the mystery around it so it's been cool you should check it out the videos will be up on youtube if you want to look into some of the back catalog all right folks so let's talk about review shall we what do we know from last week what do we see what do we hear what do we know what it is what it do <laughs> fantastic 
Ah, 2 a.m. there for you, eh, Freya? <laughs> I see. Yeah, this is this is about as early as it could make sense to do it for the, you know, for states listeners. All right. Sander has got us covered, it seems like. Chapter 8. Tonks appeared and helped Harry to get out of the train. Uh, they had the uh, castle. Um, Snape shows up instead of Hagrid. Let's him in. Uh, chapter 9. McGonagall gives them new schedules. They've got their Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Um, they're supposed to try to non-verbally jinx their partners, indeed. Um, they've got a class with Professor Slughorn. They attempt to make the Draught of Living Death. Harry wins. Following the instructions on a uh, an odd copy of Advanced Potion Making textbook. Um, Advanced Potion Making is their textbook, and somebody on this used book has just scribbled all over the place. Um, but it turns out the instructions that are scribbled in are pretty effective. <laughs> all right. So... Yep, Rachel Rachel says Harry disses Snape. Yeah, we've got a lot of people's favorite lines from this one, uh, or from, from last time. Um, uh, it goes, I, the exchange goes something like, um, uh, blah, 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 Snape. Uh, or no, what is it? Um, like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong, sir. No need to call me sir, professor. A lot of people love that one. A little bit of fan service there for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's some good stuff. All right. So we are on our way, I think. we've uh, That's a solid uh, solid recap put together by Sander. Thank you very much. Sander has also been our, uh, our, our most vocal pilot for Halvir. Um, Halvir, our elf wizard... Um, our wise old elemental speaking of you know avatar last airbender uh javier has taken on a pretty um uh kind of master of all four elements role it's pretty cool yeah Ginny gets worried because harry is taking instructions from a book and we've seen how that's turned out in the past so with all of this going on let's get into our chapter shall we um as per usual, if you've got something you want to talk about, I would love to discuss it. Just go ahead and put it in chat, and uh, we'll talk about it at a chatter break or um, in between chapters. Yeah. <laughs> Saf the Sage says, I still can't get over how spot on Harry's voice is. Thank you very much. By the way, folks, um, here's our first topic for chat as I start to get into the chapter. I need voices for the Gaunt family. We have uh, uh, an older man, uh, like a, like an old man, like I think 60s, 70s. Um, we have a, uh, let's see. Um, and then we've got, uh, I think in a, like a young adult man, kind of a big oafish kind of individual, um, and then a daughter. And I don't believe any of the three of them are quite right in the head. So. Go ahead and I'll, I'll read your suggestions. We'll see if I feel like I can pull any of them off. And on we go. Let's see, just a moment.
Okay, I'm back. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. The House of Gaunt. I'm going to try to adjust this one final time and then not touch it anymore. We'll see how that works. <laughs> okay, there we go. For the rest of the week's potions lessons, Harry continued to follow the Half-Blood Prince's instructions when they deviated from Libatius Borage's, with the result that by their fourth lesson, Slughorn was raving about Harry's abilities, saying that he had rarely taught anyone so talented. Neither Ron nor Hermione was delighted by this. Although Harry had offered to share his book with both of them, Ron had more difficulty deciphering the handwriting than Harry did, and could not keep asking Harry to read it aloud, or it might look suspicious. Hermione, meanwhile, was resolutely plowing on with what she called the official instructions, but becoming increasingly bad-tempered as they yielded poorer results than the prince's. Harry wondered vaguely who the half-blood prince had been. Although the amount of homework they had been given prevented him from reading the whole of his copy of Advanced Potion-Making, he had skimmed through it sufficiently to see that it was... Uh, it to see that there was barely a page on which the prince had not made additional notes, not all of them concerned with potion-making. Here and there were directions for what looked like spells that the prince had made up himself. Or herself, said Hermione irritably, overhearing Harry's pointing, um, overhearing Harry pointing some of these out to Ron in the common room on Saturday evening. It might have been a girl. I think the handwriting looks more like a girl's than a boy's. The half-blood prince, he was called, Harry said. How many girls have been princes? Hermione seemed to have no answer to this. She merely scowled and twitched her essay on principles of rematerialization away from Ron, who was trying to read it upside down. Harry looked at his watch and hurriedly put the old copy of Advanced Potion Making back into his bag. It's five to eight. I'd better go. I'll be late for Dumbledore. Oh! gasped Hermione, looking up at once. Good luck. We'll wait up. We won't hear what he teaches you. Hope it goes okay, said Ron, and the pair of them watched Harry leave through the portrait hole. Harry proceeded through deserted corridors, though he had to step hastily behind a statue when Professor Trelawney appeared around a corner, muttering to herself as he shuffled a pack as she shuffled a pack of dirty looking playing cards, reading them as she walked. Two of spades, conflict, she murmured as she passed the place where Harry crouched, hidden. Seven of spades, ill omen, ten of spades, violence, knave of spades, a dark young man, possibly troubled, one who dislikes the questioner. She stopped dead, right on the other side of Harry's statue. Well, that can't be right, she said, annoyed, and Harry heard her reshuffling vigorously as she set off again, leaving nothing but a whiff of cooking sherry behind her. Harry waited until he was quite sure she had gone, then hurried off again and reached the spot on the seventh floor corridor, where a single gargoyle stood against the wall. Stormstriker, welcome to Scooter Patrol. Good to have you. Extra bean? No, that's for different stuff. Um, acid pops, said Harry, and the gargoyle leapt aside. 
The wall behind it slid apart and a moving spiral staircase was revealed. Onto which Harry stepped so that he was carried in smooth circles up to the door with the brass knocker that led to Dumbledore's office. Harry knocked. Come in, said Dumbledore's voice. Good evening, sir, said Harry, walking into the headmaster's office. Ah, good evening, Harry. Sit down, said Dumbledore, smiling. I hope that you have had an enjoyable first week back at school. Yes, thanks, sir, said Harry. You must have been busy. A detention under your belt already? Um, began Harry awkwardly, but Dumbledore did not look too stern. I have arranged with Professor Snape that you will do your detention next Saturday instead. Right, said Harry, who had more pressing matters on his mind than Snape's detention, and now looked around surreptitiously for some indication of what Dumbledore was planning to do with him this evening. The circular room looked just as it always did. The delicate silver instruments stood on spindle-legged tables, puffing smoke and whirring. Portraits of previous headmasters and headmistresses dozed in their frames, and Dumbledore's magnificent phoenix, Fox, stood on his perch behind the door watching Harry with bright interest. It did not even look like Dumbledore had prepared a space for dueling practice. Welcome to Scooter Patrol, Freya. So, Harry, said Dumbledore in a businesslike voice, you have been wondering, I'm sure, what I have planned for you during these, uh, for want of a better word, lessons. Yes, sir. Well, I have decided that it is time, now that you know what prompted Lord Voldemort to try and kill you fifteen years ago, for you to be given certain information. There was a pause. You said at the end of last term you were going to tell me everything, said Harry. It was hard to keep a note of accusation from his voice. Sir, he added. And so I did said Dumbledore placidly. I told you everything I know. From this point forward we shall be leaving the firm foundation of fact and journeying together through the murky marshes of memory into thickets of wildest guesswork. From here on in, Harry, I may be as woefully wrong as Humphrey Belcher, who believed the time was ripe for a cheese cauldron. But you think that you're right said Harry. Naturally I do, but as I have already proven to you, I make mistakes like the next man. In fact, being, forgive me, rather cleverer than most men, my mistakes tend to be correspondingly huger. Sir, said Harry tentatively, what does... does what you're going to tell me have anything to do with the prophecy? Will it help me survive? It has a very great deal to do with the prophecy, said Dumbledore, as casually as if Harry had asked him about the next day's weather, and I certainly hope that it will help you survive. Dumbledore got to his feet and walked around the desk, past Harry, who turned eagerly in his seat to watch Dumbledore bending over the cabinet beside the door. When Dumbledore straightened up, 
He was holding a familiar shallow stone basin, etched with odd markings around its rim. He placed the pensive on the desk in front of Harry. You look worried. Harry had indeed been eyeing the pensive with some apprehension. His previous experiences with the odd device that stored and revealed thoughts and memories, though highly instructive, had also been uncomfortable. The last time he had disturbed its contents, he had seen much more than he would have wished. But Dumbledore was smiling. This time you enter the pensive with me, and even more unusually, with permission. Where are we going, sir? For a trip down Bob Ogden's memory lane, said Dumbledore, pulling from his pocket a crystal bottle containing a swirling, silvery-white substance. Who was Bob Ogden? He was employed by the Department for Magical Law Enforcement, said Dumbledore. He died some time ago, but not before I had tracked him down and persuaded him to confide these recollections in me. We are about to accompany him on a visit he made in the course of his duties. If you will stand, Harry. But Dumbledore was having difficulty pulling the stopper out of the crystal bottle. His injured hand seemed stiff and painful. Shall, shall I, sir? No matter, Harry. Dumbledore pointed his wand at the bottle and the cork flew out. Sir? How did you injure your hand? Harry asked again, looking at the blackened fingers with a mixture of revulsion and pity. Now is not the moment for that story, Harry. Not yet. We have an appointment with Bob Ogden. Dumbledore tipped the silvery contents of the bottle back into the pensive, where they swirled and shimmered, neither liquid nor gas. After you, said Dumbledore, gesturing toward the bowl. Harry bent forward, took a deep breath, and plunged his face into the silvery substance. He felt his feet leave the office floor. He was falling, falling through whirling darkness, and then, quite suddenly, he was blinking in dazzling sunlight. Before his eyes had adjusted, Dumbledore landed beside him. They were standing in a country lane, bordered by high, tangled hedgerows, beneath a summer sky as bright and blue as a forget-me-not. Some ten feet in front of them, a short, plump man, wearing enormously thick glasses that reduced his eyes to mole-like specks, was reading a signpost that was sticking out of the branches on the right-hand side of the road. Excuse me. Uh, sticking out of the brambles on the left-hand side of the road. <laughs> I goofed it real good. Harry knew this must be Ogden. He was the only person in sight, and he was also wearing the strange assortment of clothes so often chosen by inexperienced wizards trying to look like muggles. In this case, a frock coat and spats over a striped one-piece bathing suit. Before Harry had time to do more than register his bizarre appearance, however, Ogden had set off at a brisk walk down the lane. Dumbledore and Harry followed. They had passed the wooden sign. Harry looked up at its two arms the one pointing back the way that they had come. Great Hangleton, five miles. The arm pointing after Ogden said, Little Hangleton, one mile. They walked a short way away, 
with nothing to see but hedgerows, the wide blue sky overhead and the swishing, frock-coated figure ahead. When the lane curved suddenly to the left and fell away, sloping steeply down a hillside, so that they had a sudden, unexpected view of the whole valley in front of them, Harry could see a village, undoubtedly Little Hangleton, nestled between two steep hills, its church and graveyard clearly visible. Across the valley, set on the opposite hillside, was a handsome manor house surrounded by a wide expanse of velvety green lawn. Ogden had broken into a reluctant trot due to the steep downward slope. Dumbledore lengthened his stride, and Harry hurried to keep up. He thought Little Hangleton must be their final destination, and wondered, as he had done on the night when they had found Slughorn, why they had to approach it from such a distance. He soon discovered that he was mistaken in thinking they were going to the village, however. The lane curved to the right. When they found the corner, it was to see the very edge of Ogden's frock... Excuse me? The very edge of Ogden's frock coat vanishing through a gap in the hedge. Dumbledore and Harry followed him onto a narrow dirt track bordered by higher and wilder hedgerows than those they had left behind. The path was crooked rocky and potholed, sloping downhill like the last one, and it seemed to be heading for a patch of dark trees a little below them. Sure enough, the track soon opened up at the copse, and Dumbledore and Harry came to a halt behind Ogden, who had stopped and drawn his wand. And I'm going to switch the scene, give you something new to look at. I have to go grab some water. I will be right back. All right, I'm back. Um, yeah, by the way, um, I don't think this particular image came from Mr. Foose's collection, but uh, Mr. Foose in Mixer Chat has been instrumental in finding most of the art that I've been using uh, for the past few weeks. So, Mr. Foose, thank you very, very much. I appreciate that a lot. Okay, we're back. Despite the cloudless sky, the old trees ahead cast deep, dark, cool shadows, and it was a few seconds before Harry's eyes discerned the building half-hidden amongst the tangle of trunks. It seemed to him a very strange location to choose for a house, or else an odd decision to leave the trees growing nearby, blocking all light and the view of the valley below. He wondered whether it was inhabited. Its walls were mossy, and so many tiles had fallen off the roof that the rafters were visible in places. Nettles grew all around it their tips reaching the windows, which were tiny and thick with grime. 
Just as he had concluded that nobody could possibly live there, however, one of the windows was thrown open with a clatter, and a thin trickle of steam or smoke issued from it, as though somebody was cooking. Ogden moved forward quietly, and, it seemed to Harry, rather cautiously. As the dark shadows of the trees slid over him, he stopped again, staring at the front door, to which somebody had nailed a dead snake. Then there was a rustle and a crack, and a man in rags dropped from the nearest tree, landing on his feet right in front of Ogden, who leapt backward so fast he stood on the tails of his frock coat and stumbled. Oh, that's right, I need a voice for, uh, for Ogden as well. What do you guys think? But what's a good Bob Ogden voice? <laughs> Louis Allen says King Julian. Uncle Iroh, yeah, King Boomy are some good ones. Under the Giant. Ooh, Under the Giant. I'm, I gotta give that one a try. I don't know if I've given it a try before, but I gotta try it out. I'll try King Boomy for the old man, yeah. I got it. I have to try Under the Giant. Bumbling detective. <laughs> Something with a stutter? Okay, I can do that. Let's see. Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> Oh boy, what would I, yeah, what, I don't know, I, I feel like my Tim Allen voice is going to be not good. <clears throat> okay, let's see. <laughs> I, we'll start with our, uh, we'll start with our Andre the Giant. <laughs> this is going to be rough, folks. I've always, I've always said I don't do good impressions, I do fun impressions. Let's do this. You're not welcome. The man standing before them had hair so thick and matted with dirt it could have been any color. Several of his teeth were missing. His eyes were small and dark and stared in opposite directions. He might have looked comical, but he did not. The effect was frightening, and Harry could not blame Ogden for backing away several paces more before he spoke. Um, <clears throat> good, good morning. I am from the uh, Ministry of Magic. You're not welcome. I, I'm uh, sorry, I, I don't understand you, said Ogden nervously. Harry thought Ogden was being extremely dim. The stranger was making himself very clear in Harry's opinion, particularly as he was brandishing a wand in one hand and a short and rather bloody knife in the other. You understand him, I'm sure, Harry, said Dumbledore quietly. Yes, of course said Harry, sounding nonplussed. Why can't Ogden... But as his eyes found the dead snake on the door again, he suddenly understood. He's speaking Parseltongue? Very good, said Dumbledore, nodding and smiling. The man in rags was now advancing on Ogden, knife in one hand, wand in the other. Now, uh, uh, look... Ogden began, but too late. There was a bang, and Ogden was on the ground, clutching his nose while a nasty, yellowish goo squirted from between his fingers. Boffin, said a loud voice. An elderly man had come hurrying out of the cottage, banging on the door uh, behind him so that the dead snake swung pathetically. 
This man was shorter than the first and oddly proportioned. His shoulders were very broad and his arms overlong, which, which, with his light brown eyes, short scrubby hair and wrinkled face, gave him the look of a powerful aged monkey. Yeah, King Boomy is the perfect voice for this. He came to a halt beside the man with the knife, who was now cackling with laughter at the sight of Ogden on the ground. Ministry, is it? said the older man, looking down at Ogden. Correct, said Ogden angrily, dabbing at his face. And you, I take it, are Mr. Gaunt. That's right, said Gaunt. Cut you in the face, did he? Uh, Yes, he he did. Hmm. Should have made your presence known, shouldn't you? Said Gaunt aggressively. It is private property. Can't just walk in here and not expect my son to defend himself. Hey, de- de- defend himself against what, man? Said Ogden, clambering back to his feet. Busybodies, intruders, muggles, and filth. Ogden pointed his wand at his own nose, which was still issuing large amounts of what looked like yellow pus, and the flow stopped at once. Mr. Gaunt spoke out of the corner of his mouth to Morphin. Get back in the house. Don't argue. This time, ready for it, Harry recognized Parseltongue. Even while he could understand what was being said, he distinguished the weird hissing noise was all that Ogden could hear. Morphin seemed to be on the point of disagreeing, but when his father cast him a threatening look, he changed his mind, lumbering away to the cottage with an odd rolling gait and slamming the front door behind him so that the snake swung sadly again. "'It's your son I'm here to see you about, uh, Mr. Gaunt,' said Ogden, as he mopped the last of the pus away from the front of his coat. "'That was uh, Morfin, wasn't it?' "'Ah, that was Morfin,' said the old man indifferently. "'Are you pure blood?' he asked, suddenly aggressive. "'That's neither here nor there,' said Ogden coldly, and Harry felt his respect for Ogden rise. Apparently Gaunt felt rather differently.' He squinted into Ogden's face and muttered in what was clearly supposed to be an offensive tone. Now I come to think about it, I've seen noses like yours down the village. I don't don't doubt it if your son's been let loose on them, said Ogden. Perhaps we could continue this discussion inside. Inside? Yes, Mr. Gaunt, I've already told you. I'm here about Morfin. We sent an owl. I've no use for owls, said Gaunt. I don't open letters. Then you can hardly complain that you get no warning of visitors, said Ogden tartly. I'm here following a serious breach of wizarding law, which occurred here in the early hours of this morning. All right, all right, all right, bellowed Gaunt. Come in the bleeding house, then. Much good it'll do you. The house seemed to contain three tiny rooms. Two doors led off of the main room, which served as a kitchen and living room combined. Or combined with a B instead of a P. I don't know what that was. Morphin was sitting in a filthy armchair beside the smoking fire, twisting a live adder between his thick fingers and crooding softly at it in parcel tongue. Hissy, hissy, little snaky. Say they're on the floor. You be good to Morphin, or he'll nail you to the door. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have enough time with this Andre the Giant thing to actually get it down, but hey, it's worth a shot. 
We still need one for uh, um, the daughter as well. There was a scuffling noise in the corner beside the open window, and Harry realized there was somebody else in the room. A girl whose ragged gray dress was the exact color of the dirty stone wall behind her. She was standing beside a steaming pot on a grimy black stove and was fiddling around with a shelf of squalid-looking pots and pans above it. Her hair was lank and dull, and she had a plain, pale, rather heavy face. Her eyes, like her brother's, stared in two opposite directions. She looked a little cleaner than the two men, but Harry thought that he had never before seen a more defeated-looking person. "'My daughter, Merope,' said Gaunt grudgingly, as Ogden looked inquiringly toward her. "'Good morning,' said Ogden. She did not answer, but with a frightened glance at her father, turned her back on the room and continued shifting pots and pans on the shelf behind her. "'Well, Mr. Gaunt,' said Ogden, Get straight to the point. We have reason to believe that... Oh. <laughs> Oops. Uh, well, Mr. Gaunt, said Ogden, to get straight to the point, we have reason to believe that your son, Morfin, performed magic in front of a muggle late last night. It was a deafening clang. Merope had dropped one of the pots. Pick it up, Gaunt bellowed at her. That's it. Grab on the floor like some filthy muggle. What's your wand for, you useless sack of muck? Mr. Gaunt, please, said Ogden in a shocked voice, as Merope, who had already picked up the pot, flushed blotchily scarlet, lost her grip on the pot again, drew her wand shakily from her pocket, pointed it at the pot, and muttered a hasty, inaudible spell that caused the pot to shoot across the room away from her, hit the opposite wall, and crack in two. Morfin let out a mad cackle of laughter. Gaunt screamed, Mend it, you useless lump! Mend it! Merope stumbled across the room, but before she had time to raise her wand, Ogden had lifted his own and firmly said, Reparo. The pot mended itself instantly. Gaunt looked for a moment as though he were going to shout at Ogden, but seemed to think better of it. Instead, he jeered at his daughter. Lucky. A nice man from the ministry's here, isn't it? Perhaps he'll take you off my hands. Perhaps he doesn't mind dirty squibs. Without looking at anybody, or thanking Ogden, Merope picked up the pot and returned it, hands trembling, to its shelf. She then stood quite still, her back against the wall between the filthy window and the stove, as though she wished for nothing more than to sink into the stone and vanish. "'Mr. Gaunt,' Ogden began again, "'as I've said, the reason for my visit—' "'I heard you the first time,' snapped Gaunt. "'And so what? Morfin gave a muggle a bit of what was coming to him. "'What about it, then?' "'Morfin has broken wizarding law,' said Ogden sternly. "'Morfin has broken wizarding law!' Gaunt imitated Ogden's voice, making it pompous and sing-song. Morfin cackled again. <laughs> you taught a, a filthy muggle a lesson that's illegal now, is it? Yes, said Ogden. I'm afraid it is. He pulled from an inside pocket a small scroll of parchment and unrolled it. What's that, then, his sentence? said Gaunt, his voice rising angrily. 
It is a summons to the ministry for a hearing. Summons? Summons? Who do you think you are summoning my son anywhere? I'm the head of the magical law enforcement squad, said Ogden. And you think we're scum, do you? screamed Gaunt, advancing on Ogden now with a dirty yellow nailed finger pointing at his chest. Scum who'll come running when the ministry tells them to. You know who you're talking to, you filthy mudbud, do you? I was under the impression I was speaking to Mr. Gaunt, said Ogden, looking wary but standing his ground. That's right, roared Gaunt. For a moment, Harry thought Gaunt was making an obscene hand gesture, but then realized he was showing Ogden the black, ugly, oh, excuse me, the ugly black-stoned ring he was wearing on his middle finger, waving it before Ogden's eyes. You see this? You see this? You know what it is. You know where it came from. Centuries. It's been in our family. That's how far back we go. And pure blood all the way. Now how much I've been offered for this? With the peveril coat of arms engraved on the stone? I really have no idea, said Ogden, blinking as the ring sailed within an inch of his nose. And it's quite beside the point, Mr. Gaunt. Your son has committed... With a howl of rage, Gaunt ran toward his daughter. For a split second, Harry thought he was going to throttle her as his hand flew to her throat. Next moment, he was dragging her toward Ogden by a gold chain around her neck. See this! He bellowed at Ogden, shaking a heavy gold locket at him while Merope spluttered and gasped for breath. I see it, I see it, said Ogden hastily. Slytherins! yelled Gaunt. Sellers are Slytherins. We're his last living descendants. And what do you say to that, eh? Mr. Gaunt, your daughter, said Ogden in alarm, but Gaunt had already released Merope. She staggered away from him, back to her corner, massaging her neck and gulping for air. So, said Gaunt triumphantly, as though he had just proved a complicated point beyond all possible dispute. Don't you go talking to us as if we're dirt on your shoes. Generations of purebloods, wizards, all more than you can say, I don't doubt. He spat on the floor at Ogden's feet. Morphin cackled again. Merope huddled beside the window, her head bowed and her face hidden by her lank hair, said nothing. Mr. Gaunt said Ogden doggedly. I am afraid that neither your ancestors nor mine have anything to do with the matter at hand. I am here because of Morfin. Morfin and the muggle he accosted late last night. Our information, he glanced down at his scroll of parchment, is that Morfin performed a jinx or hex on said muggle, causing him to erupt in highly painful hives. Morfin giggled. "'Be quiet, boy!' snarled Gaunt in parcel tongue, and Morfin fell silent once again. "'So what if he did?' Gaunt said defiantly to Ogden. "'I expect you wiped the muggle's filthy face clean for him, and his memory to boot!' "'That is hardly the point, is it, Mr. Gaunt?' said Ogden. "'This was an unprovoked attack on a defenceless... You had... I had you marked out as a muggle lover the moment I saw you, sneered Gaunt, and he spat on the floor again. 
"'This discussion is getting us nowhere,' said Ogden firmly. "'It is clear from your son's attitude that he feels no remorse for his actions.' He glanced down at his scroll of parchment again. "'Morfin will attend a hearing on the 14th of September "'to answer the charges of using magic in front of a muggle "'and causing harm and distress on that same muggle.' Ogden broke off. The jingling, clopping sounds of horses and loud, laughing voices were drifting in through the open window. Apparently, the winding lane to the village passed very close to the copse where the house stood. Gaunt froze, listening, his eyes wide. Morphin hissed and turned his face toward the sound, his expression hungry. Merope raised her head. Her face, Harry saw, was starkly white. "'My God, what an eyesore!' rang out a girl's voice, as clearly audible through the open window as if she had stood in the room beside them. "'Can't your father have that hovel cleared away, Tom?' "'It's not ours,' said a young man's voice. "'Everything on the other side of the valley belongs to us, "'but that cottage belongs to an old tramp called Gaunt, "'and to his children. "'The son is quite mad. "'You should hear some of the stories they tell in the village.' "'The girl laughed. "'The jingling, clapping noises were growing louder and louder. "'Morphin made to get out of his chair. Mm, "'Keep your seat,' his father said warningly, in parcel tongue. "'Tom!' said the girl's voice again, now so close that they were clearly right beside the house. I might be wrong, but has somebody nailed a snake to that door? Good Lord, you're right, said the man's voice. That'll be the son. I told you, he's not right in the head. Don't look at it, Cecilia, darling. The jingling and clopping sounds were now growing fainter again. Darling! whispered Morfin in parcel tongue, looking at his sister. Darling, he called her. So he wouldn't have you anyway. That was that's more Arnold. I gotta I gotta practice this one this one. Having a decent honor to the giant in the hopper would be a good one to have. Merope was so white, Harry felt sure she was going to faint. What's that? said Gaunt sharply, also in parcel tongue, looking from his son to his daughter. What did you say, Morfin? She likes looking at that muggle, said Morfin, a vicious expression on his face as he stared at his sister, who now looked terrified. Always in the garden when he passes. God, this is horrible. <laughs> Peering through the hedge at him, isn't he? Last night. Merope shook her head jerkily, imploringly, but Morfin went on ruthlessly. Hanging out of the window, waiting for him to ride home, wasn't she? Hanging out of the window to look at a muggle, said Gaunt quietly. All three of the Gaunts seemed to have forgotten about Ogden, who was looking both bewildered and irritated at this renewed outbreak of incomprehensible hissing and rasping. Is it true? said Gaunt in a deadly voice, advancing a step or two toward the terrified girl. My daughter, pure-blooded descendant of Salazar Slytherin, hankering after a filthy, dirt-veined muggle. Merope shook her head frantically, pressing herself into the wall, apparently unable to speak. 
But I got him, father. Cackled Morphin. I got him as he went by, and he didn't look so pretty with hives all over him, did he, Murphy? You disgusting little squib, you filthy little blood traitor, roared Gaunt, losing control, and his hands closed around his daughter's throat. Both Harry and Ogden yelled, No! But at the same time, Ogden raised his wand and cried, Relatio! Gaunt was thrown backward, away from his daughter. He tripped over a chair and fell flat on his back. With a roar of rage, Morphin leapt out of his chair and ran at Ogden, brandishing his bloody knife and firing hexes indiscriminately from his wand. Ogden ran for his life. Dumbledore indicated they ought to follow, and Harry obeyed, Merope's screams echoing in his ears. Ogden hurled up the path and erupted onto the mossy lane, his arms over his head where he collided with the glossy chestnut horse ridden by a very handsome, dark-haired young man. Both he and the pretty girl riding beside him on a gray horse roared with laughter at the sight of Ogden, who bounced off the horse's flank and set off again, his frock coat flying, covered from head to foot in dust, running pell-mell up the lane. "'I think that will do, Harry,' said Dumbledore. He took Harry by the elbow and tugged. Next moment, they were both soaring weightlessly through darkness, until they landed squarely on their feet, back in Dumbledore's twilit office. "'What happened to the girl at the cottage?' said Harry at once, as Dumbledore lit the extra lamps with a flick of his wand. "'Marapy, or whatever her name was.' "'Oh, she survived,' said Dumbledore, reseating himself behind the desk and indicating that Harry should sit down too. "'Ogden apparated back to the Ministry and returned with reinforcements within fifteen minutes. Morfin and his father attempted to fight, but both were overpowered, removed from the cottage, and subsequently convinced—excuse me—convicted by the Wizengamot—' Morfin, who had already had a record of muggle attacks, was sentenced to three years in Azkaban. Marvolo, who had injured several ministry employees in addition to Ogden, received six months. Marvolo? Harry repeated, wonderingly. That's right, said Dumbledore, smiling in approval. I'm glad to see that you're keeping up. That old man was Voldemort's grandfather. Yes, said Dumbledore. Marvolo, his son, Morfin, and his daughter, Merope, were the last of the Gaunts, a very ancient wizarding family noted for a vein of instability and violence that flourished through the generations due to their habits of marrying their own cousins. Lack of sense coupled with a great liking for grandeur meant that the family gold was squandered several generations before Marvolo was born. He, as you saw, was left in squalor and poverty, with a very nasty temper, a fantastic amount of arrogance and pride, and a couple of family heirlooms that he treasured just as much as his son, and rather more than his daughter. "'So, Marapy, said Harry, leaning forward in his chair and staring at Dumbledore. "'So, Marapy was—' "'Sir, does that mean that she was Voldemort's mother?' "'It does,' said Voldemort. "'Nope,' 
I've done that once before. I did that a few books ago. I did that in like book two or three. Somebody somebody called me on it. Hook. Hey, how's it going? Oh, there's book and hook and hook love one. It does, said Dumbledore. And it so happens that we have also had a glimpse of Voldemort's father. I wonder whether you had noticed. The muggle that Morphin attacked? The man on the horse? Very good indeed, said Dumbledore, beaming. Yes, that was Tom Riddle Sr., the handsome muggle who used to go riding past the gaunt cottage and for whom Merope Gaunt cherished a secret burning passion. And they ended up married, Harry said in disbelief, unable to imagine two people less likely to fall in love. I think you are forgetting, said Dumbledore, that Merope was a witch. I do not believe that her magical powers appeared to their best advantage when she was being terrified by her father. Once Marvolo and Morfin were safely in Azkaban, once she was alone and free for the first time in her life, then I am sure she was able to give full rein to her abilities and to plot her escape from the desperate life she had led for eighteen years. Can you not think of any measure Merope could have taken to make Tom Riddle forget his muggle companion and fall in love with her instead? The Imperious Curse, Harry suggested, or a love potion? Very good. Personally, I am inclined to think that she used a love potion. I am sure it would have seemed more romantic to her, and I do not think it would have been very difficult on some hot day when Riddle was riding alone to persuade him to take a drink of water. In any case, within a few months of the scene we have just witnessed, the village of Little Hangleton enjoyed a tremendous scandal. You can imagine the gossip it caused when the squire's son ran off with the tramp's daughter, Merope. But the villager's shock was nothing to Marvolo's. He returned from Azkaban, expecting to find his daughter dutifully awaiting his return with a hot meal ready on the table. Instead, he found a clear inch of dust and a note of her farewell, explaining what she had done. From what I have been able to discover, he never mentioned her name or existence from that time forth. The shock of her desertion may have contributed to his early death, or perhaps he had simply never learned to feed himself. Azkaban had greatly weakened Marvolo, and he did not live to see Morfin return to the cottage. And Merope? She... she died, didn't she? Wasn't Voldemort brought up in an orphanage? Yes, indeed, said Dumbledore. We must do a certain amount of guessing here, although I do not think it is difficult to deduce what happened. You see, within a few months of their runaway marriage, Tom Riddle reappeared at the manor house in Little Hangleton without his wife. The rumour flew around the neighbourhood that he was talking of being hoodwinked and taken in. I am sure that what he meant is that he had been under an enchantment that had now been lifted, though I dare say he did not dare use those precise words for fear of being thought insane. When they heard what he was saying, however, the villagers guessed that Merope 
had lied to Tom Riddle, pretending she was going to have his baby, and that he had married her for this reason. But she did have his baby. But not until a year after they were married. Tom Riddle left her while they were still pregnant. While she was still pregnant, excuse me. What went wrong? asked Harry. Why did the love potion stop working? Again, this is guesswork, said Dumbledore. But I believe that Merope, who was deeply in love with her husband, could not bear to continue enslaving him by magical means. I believe that she made the choice to stop giving him the potion. Perhaps, besotted as she was, she had convinced herself that he would by now have fallen in love with her in return. Perhaps she thought that he would stay for the baby's sake. If so, she was wrong on both counts. He left her and never saw her again, and never troubled to discover what became of his son. The sky outside was inky black, and the lamps in Dumbledore's office seemed to glow more brightly than before. "'I think that will do for tonight, Harry,' said Dumbledore, after a moment or two. "'Yes, sir,' said Harry. He got to his feet, but did not leave. "'Sir, is it important to know all of this about Voldemort's past?' Uh, "'Very important, I think.' said Dumbledore. And it, it's got something to do with the prophecy. It has got everything to do with the prophecy. Right, said Harry, a little confused but reassured all the same. He turned to go. Then another question occurred to him and he turned back again. Sir, am I allowed to tell Ron and Hermione everything that you've told me? Dumbledore considered him for a moment and then said, Yes, I think Mr. Weasley and Miss Granger have proved themselves trustworthy. But, Harry, I am going to ask you to ask them not to repeat this to anybody else. It would not be a good idea if word got around how much I knew or suspect about Lord Voldemort's secrets. No, sir. I'll make sure it's just Ron and Hermione. Good night. He turned away, and was almost at the door when he saw it, sitting on one of the little spindle-legged tables that supported so many frail-looking silver instruments, was an ugly gold ring set with a large, cracked, black stone. Sir, said Harry, staring at it, that ring. Yes, said Dumbledore. You were wearing it the night when we visited Professor Slughorn. So I was, Dumbledore agreed. But isn't it, sir, isn't it the same ring that Marvello Gaunt showed to Ogden? Dumbledore bowed his head. The very same. But how come, have you always had it? No, I acquired it very recently, said Dumbledore. A few days ago, excuse me, a few days before I came to fetch you from your aunt and uncle's, in fact. That would be around the same time that you injured your hand then, sir. Around that time, yes, Harry. Harry hesitated. Dumbledore was smiling. Sir, how exactly... 
Too late, Harry. You shall hear the story another time. Good night. Good night, sir. That's the end of our chapter. Don't forget, folks, um, stick around afterward. I'll be talking through the schedule for the week. Um, for the time being, however, I am going to take a quick five-minute break, as one does, as one does during these read-throughs. I uh, hope you're all doing really well. It's great to have you all here. I'm always excited doing these. Um, Thorny Crane, hello. Uh, let's see. What other new names have showed up since I started reading? Karzi, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, Rachel in the Discord says, that poor snake, what did he do? Indeed. Um, Let's see, what else? Karzi says, it'd be kind of cool to see what they could do these days with Quidditch. The movies cut out quite a bit of it later in the movies, and the first few had awful CGI. Yeah, I'll bet they could do quite a bit with it. And, uh, yep, Freya, uh, etc. Thank you all for, for helping out and getting new people caught up, people who are, or are uh, new to tonight's stream. More reasons that the series would be great. Let's see, what else? Would have loved to see this all in the movies, says Freya. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is the stuff that, that a, a TV show reboot of the ser- of the, the Harry Potter universe could be a great thing. Unfortunately, I think the audience would be kind of, um, I don't know, it would be tough to to sort of build for. But, I mean... We've talked about Avatar Last Airbender. I think there's a way to thread that gap, especially with very good source material like this. Uh, Freya says, even if Merapi wasn't a squib, this does make me wonder about how actual squibs would be treated in pure blood, very anti-Muggle families. I'm trying to remember if there were any such cases showcased uh, more in the books. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we definitely get the sense that... Um, uh, the, the, uh, what is it? What's his name? Oh boy. He's got the cat, Mrs. Norris. Why can't I remember that fool's name? What's the, what's, what's his name? Filch. Thank you, Jade. I appreciate it. <laughs> Jade and Mr. Foose and Freya. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I couldn't remember his name for some reason, but, uh, yeah, he was a squib and I mean, s- clearly his background is not great. I, I don't imagine you grow up like that, uh, having a, you know, a happy home life, but I don't know. It's worth a question. I don't think we see a lot about squibs in these books. Yeah, Carzy. Carzy dropped the first name. Argus Filch. You are welcome so much for reading. It's always a pleasure for me as well. And, oh yeah, Mrs. Fig. That's right, Courtney. There's a good pull. Well done. Um, uh, my Bulma, I am going to be reading a second chapter tonight. Of course, this will be available on, uh, it'll be on Mixer here for two weeks, and in one week, it will start to be available on YouTube. If you are currently watching on YouTube, this is the YouTube premiere, which means that, uh, you can, uh, as soon as this one is over, you can head over to Mixer or Discord, and I will be live there. For those of you who are currently joining me live on Mixer or Discord, Welcome. It's fantastic to have you here. I'm going to take a quick break. As per usual, go ahead and chat while I'm gone. Uh, feel free to talk about whatever you wish. Um, although I will say that that squib question is a good idea. Um, uh, I like that topic of discussion. Let's see. What's a good question to sort of form up around that? Um, let's see. <laughs> I don't know. Squibs in... How, I mean, there's the question. I mean, how do we think... Uh, like, if there had been a squib in, like, the Weasley family, for instance. Because we, we do know not all pureblood families are, are evil. Um, 
but in in pure blood families like the Weasleys, uh, even you know, how do we feel like? What do we feel like? Squibs. What do we? Where do we feel Squibs' places in magic culture are? Okay, I'll be back. I should clarify. Not where do they deserve to be, but where do we think they actually land? An important distinction sometimes. Hello, and welcome back. How are you? <laughs> I hope you're all ready to get into another chapter. Now, for those of us who are joining in late, hello, welcome. Uh, by the way, Conch, I saw that you had made a... Boy, that was a, that was a hard way to lay into that word, that pronunciation. Conch. Um, I saw that you were here too. Somebody, uh, uh, I, I, I noticed you were in and I wanted to make sure I didn't miss you. How you doing? Let's see. Some interesting discussion of the squib question. Um, 22 says Weasleys would be okay with the squib. They didn't stay true to the pure line, so they probably wouldn't mind. Uh, unlike the Gaunt, Black, or Malfoy families. Let's see. Oh, uh, some interesting uh, discussion of like uh, squibs as good herbologists, and I'll bet you'd be right. You know what? Uh, certainly, what? What? Um, oh boy, now I can't remember his name either, which is like terrible. Here's the thing: when I get into stream mode, sometimes my brain says, "No, you can't really think about anything right now because you have to say something." Um, and so it doesn't actually allow me to go back and find anything in any of the back files. It's only what I've got available to me up front. So I'm going to, here, I'm just going to put this down. I'm going to think of the name. I'm not going to let myself get blocked like this. Neville Longbottom. <laughs> there we go. I'm not joking. It like, it takes the whole back 80% of my memory and says, all right, this is behind a bit of a wall now because you have to use all of your uh, available attention just to focus on this. Got to be talking. Got to keep going. Um, yeah, I do. You know what Neville lacks in, in uh, you know, magical academic aptitude, he certainly makes up for in his herbology. And, you know, somebody like uh, Hagrid, for instance, who's not, um, uh, who isn't necessarily like, a magical adept has certainly made a, a good course for himself uh, without using much in the way of magical ability. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty to be done for sure. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't know much about Charlie Weasley, but he could be a squib for all we know. I think we can assume that he's not because it would probably have come up, but, you know, his his job doesn't require it. Bill, on the other hand, he's a curse breaker, so he probably has to be pretty proficient. Okay, so let's continue. What did we learn from this last chapter? For anybody who's joining in late here, well, we have just come from the chapter um, "The House of Gaunt," and what we learned here is um, during a uh, um, an experience, an excursion in the pensive. Dumbledore brings Harry through the memory of a guy named Bob Ogden. He's an Auror. Uh, it seems like he's the head of magical law enforcement, in fact. And 
the or it might have been muggle relations i don't it was some something law enforcement based but it might have just been flat out the head of magical law enforcement but um he heads out to this old dilapidated house in the middle of a um you know kind of the woods near a little village and he is seeking one of a family of three he is seeking the son there's a son a daughter and a father um the the father uh, is really hostile to him the entire time really the only one who speaks with bob ogden the law enforcement officer um and it's the son that uh, bob ogden is hunting after because the son has apparently been uh terrorizing muggles in the area um, and he has been uh, summoned for a hearing throughout we find out that uh this this group of people all oh, they live they live in absolute squalor um, just really poor conditions. They apparently are part of the pure blood line uh, of Salazar Slytherin's ancestry. And they're very proud of that. At least at least the father is. Um, but the father is Marvolo Gaunt. We find that this is indeed Voldemort's grandfather, uh, which makes the daughter Voldemort's mother. Her name is... Um, Guess what's gone? Guess what's gone right out of my head? <laughs> it's Marvolo, Morphin, and uh, Mar Marlena. Merope. There it is. <laughs> Thank you, Luis. I appreciate it. Um, uh, Merope is um, Voldemort's mother. And after this memory, uh, Dumbledore explains that apparently Merope once... once uh, Bob Ogden returned very shortly after this memory um, to bring in Marvolo and uh, Merwin <laughs> Morphin. Uh, um, the two males are are headed off to Azkaban, and uh, she ha Merope has an opportunity to sort of get out from under their terror, and she goes off. She uses some magical. Um, uh, very unsavory means um you know really really uh uh coercing we, we don't know exactly what method was used but either coercing or fully forcing um tom riddle into a relationship with her and this uh this individual this muggle tom riddle uh is apparently voldemort's father but after sort of coming out of the, whatever magical haze he was put into, uh, he left and never tried to reconnect with either the mother or the son. So that's where we're at there. Um, Harry has had the opportunity to ask a couple of questions. It's fine for him to share this stuff with Ron and Hermione, apparently. Uh, and he notices that around the same time that uh, Dumbledore's hand was injured, he was wearing a ring that he now sees in Dumbledore's office and realizes not only that, but this is the same ring that um, Marvolo Gaunt flaunted in front of Bob Ogden back during the memory. So apparently this ring once belonged to Salazar Slytherin. Interesting. But uh, Dumbledore won't expound any on that for right now. So, let's get into our next chapter, shall we? As usual, I hope... I uh, hope you're enjoying it so far. I certainly am, and uh, yeah... It's been a, it's been a good night. It's been a nice it's been a nice relaxing read so far. In spite of the audio issues, I'm kind of surprised. I typically this stuff typically uh, gets me real good. I'll just say that gets my goat. I'm goatless. All right. 
Let's get in, shall we? Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Hermione's Helping Hand. As Hermione had predicted, the sixth year's free periods were not the hours of blissful relaxation Ron had anticipated, but times in which to attempt to keep up with the vast amount of homework they were being set. Not only were they studying as though they had exams every day, but the lessons themselves had become more demanding than ever before. Harry barely understood half of what Professor McGonagall said to them these days. Even Hermione had to ask her repeated instructions once or twice. Oh, even Hermione had had to ask her to repeat instructions once or twice. Incredibly, and to Hermione's increasing resentment, Harry's best subject had suddenly become potions, thanks to the Half-Blood Prince. Nonverbal spells were now expected not only in defense against the dark arts, but in charms and transfiguration, too. Harry frequently looked over at his classmates in the common room, or at mealtimes, to see them purple in the face and straining as though they had overdosed on you-know-poo, but he knew what they were really struggling uh, to do, to make spells work without saying incantations aloud. It was a relief to get outside into the greenhouses. They were dealing with more dangerous plants than ever in herbology, but at least they were still allowed to swear loudly if the venomous tentacula seized them unexpectedly from behind. One of the results of their enormous workload and the frantic hours of practicing nonverbal spells was that Harry, Ron, and Hermione had so far been unable to find a time to go and visit Hagrid. He had stopped coming to meals at the staff table an ominous sign, and on the few occasions when they had passed him in the corridors or out in the halls, uh, excuse me, or out in the grounds, he had mysteriously failed to notice them or hear their greetings. We've got to go and explain, said Hermione, looking up at Hagrid's huge empty chair at the staff table the following Saturday at breakfast. We've got Quidditch charts this morning, said Ron, and we're supposed to be practicing that augmenty charm from Flitwick. Anyway, explain what. How are we going to tell him that we hated his stupid subject? We didn't hate it, said Hermione. Speak for yourself. I still haven't forgotten about the scroots, said Ron darkly. And I'm telling you now, we've had a narrow escape. You didn't hear him going on about his gormless brother. <sighs> We'd have been teaching Grub how to tie his shoelaces if we'd stayed. I hate not talking to Hagrid, said Hermione, looking upset. We'll go down after Quidditch, Harry assured her. He too was missing Hagrid, although like Ron, he thought that they were better off without Grop in their lives. But trials might take all morning, the number of people who have applied. He felt slightly nervous at comforting... He felt slightly nervous at confronting the first hurdle of his captaincy. I don't know why the team's this popular all of a sudden. Oh, come on, Harry said Hermione, suddenly impatient. It's not Quidditch that's popular, it's you. You've never been more interesting, and frankly, you've never been more fanciable. Ron gagged on a large piece of kipper. Hermione spared him the look of disdain before... Oh, Hermione spared him one look of disdain before turning back to Harry. Everyone knows that you've been telling the truth now, don't they? The whole wizarding world has got to admit that you were right about Voldemort being back, and that you really have fought him twice in the last two years, and escaped him both times. And now that they're calling you the Chosen One, well, come on, can't you see why people are fancying you? Harry was finding the Great Hall very hot all of a sudden, even though the ceiling looked cold and rainy. And you've been through all that persecution from the Ministry, and they can see that you're trying to 
work out that you were unstable and a liar. You can still see the marks in the back of your hand where that evil woman made you write your own blood, but you stuck to your story anyway. You can still see where those brains got hold of me in the ministry. Look, said Ron, shaking back his sleeves. And it doesn't hurt that you've grown about a foot over the summer either, Hermione finished, ignoring Ron. I'm tall, said Ron inconsequentially. The post owls arrived. <laughs> sorry, discussion. Uh, sorry, the the sorry about the chat going on in Mixer. I had to change my scene. The post owls arrived, swooping down through rain-flecked windows, scattering everyone with droplets of water. Most people were receiving more poised, poised, hello, <laughs> more post than usual. Anxious parents were keen to hear from their children and to reassure them, in turn, that all was well at home. Harry had received no mail since the start of term. His only, re his only regular correspondence was now dead, and although he had hoped that Lupin might write occasionally, he had so far been disappointed. He was very surprised, therefore, to see the snowy white Hedwig circling amongst all the brown and gray owls. She landed in front of him, carrying a large square package. A moment later... An identical package landed in front of Ron, crushing beneath it his minuscule and exhausted owl, Pigwidgeon. <laughs> Thanks, Jade. That must be what it is. Poist is moist post. Post haste. Ha! said Harry, unwrapping the parcel to reveal a new copy of advanced potion making, fresh from flourish and blots. Oh, good said Hermione, delighted. Now you can give that graffiti to copy back. Are you mad? said Harry. I'm keeping it. Look, I've thought it out. He pulled out the old copy of advanced potion making from his bag and tapped the cover with his wand, muttering, Defender. The cover fell off. He did the same thing with his brand new book. Hermione looked scandalized. Then he swapped the covers, tapped each, and said, Reparo. There sat the prince's copy, disguised as a new book, and there sat the fresh copy from Flourish and Blots, looking thoroughly second-hand. <laughs> got access to all the magic in the world, and he thinks he's got it all sorted out. He just switches the covers. <laughs> it's like something from season four of The Wire. There, uh, let's see. I'll give Slughorn back the new one. He can't complain, it costs nine galleons. Hermione pressed her lips together, looking angry and disapproving, but it was distracted, but was distracted by a third owl landing in front of her, carrying that day's copy of the Daily Prophet. She unfolded it hastily and scanned the front page. Anyone we know dead? asked Ron in a determinedly casual voice. He posed the same question every time Hermione opened their paper. No, but there have been more Dementor attacks, said Hermione, and an arrest. Excellent. Who? asked Harry, thinking of Bellatrix Lestrange. Stan Shunpike, said Hermione. What? said Harry, startled. Stan Shunpike, conductor of the popular wizarding conveyance, the night bus, has been arrested on suspicion of Death Eater activity. Mr. Shunpike, 21, was taken into custody late last night after a raid on his Clapham home. Stan Shunpike, a Death Eater, said Harry, remembering the spotty youth that he had met three years before. Mm, no way, 
They might have been put under the Imperious curse, said Ron reasonably. You never can tell. It doesn't look like it, said Hermione, who was still reading. It says here that he was arrested after he was overheard talking about the Death Eater's secret plans in a pub. She stood up and... Oh, she looked up with a troubled expression on her face. If he was under the Imperious curse, he'd hardly stand around gossiping about their plans, would he? Sounds like he was trying to make it out that he knew more than he did, said Ron. Isn't he the one who claimed that he was going to become Minister of Magic when he was trying to chat up those Vila? Yeah, that's him, said Harry. I don't know what they're playing at, taking Stan seriously. They probably thought that they ought to look like they're doing something, said Hermione, frowning. People are terrified. You know the Patil twins' parents want them to go home? And Eloise Midgen has already been withdrawn. Her father picked her up last night. What? said Ron, gargling at Hermione. But Hogwarts is safer than their homes. It's bound to be. We've got orders and those extra protective spells, and we've got Dumbledore. I don't think we've got him all the time, said Hermione very quietly, glancing toward the staff table over the top of the prophet. Have you noticed? His seat's been empty as often as Hagrid's this past week. Harry and Ron looked up at the staff table. The headmaster's chair was indeed empty. Now Harry came to think of it, he had not seen Dumbledore since their private lesson a week ago. I think he's left the school to do something with the order, said Hermione in a low voice. I mean, it's all looking serious, isn't it? Harry and Ron did not answer, but Harry knew that they were all thinking the same thing. There had been a horrible incident the day before, where Hannah Abbott had been taken out of herbology to be told that her mother had been found dead. They had not seen Hannah since. When they left the Gryffindor table five minutes later to head down to the Quidditch pitch, they passed Lavender Brown and Parvati Patil. Remembering what Hermione had said about the Patil parents, uh, excuse me, about the Patil twins' parents wanting them to leave Hogwarts, Harry was unsurprised to see that uh, the two best friends were whispering together, looking stressed. What did surprise him was that when Ron drew level with them, Parvati suddenly nudged Lavender, who looked around and gave Ron a wide smile. Good grief, I turned into a robot. <laughs> Ron blinked at her, then turned the smile. Oh boy, come on now. Come on! Get it together, Sam. Ron blinked at her, then returned the smile uncertainly. His walk became instantly something more like a strut. Harry resisted the temptation to laugh, remembering that Ron had refrained from doing so after Malfoy had broken Harry's nose. Hermione, however, looked cold and distant all the way down to the stadium through the cool, misty drizzle, and departed to find a place in the stands without wishing Ron good luck. Ah, chatter break. <laughs> so how are we doing? Mr. Fu says JK was very fluent in hallway flirting. Yeah, she had a she had a good <laughs> she had a good handle on how people of this age interacted. For the most part. Maybe Stan is a squib, says Rachel. I think I wanna say there was some mention of that. I don't remember. Rachel's talking about that in the uh, Discord. Was Stan a squib? Did we ever find out about that? 
Yeah, uh, for those of us, here's our Chatterbrick question. For those, of us, for those of us who don't know the answer about any of this stuff, how do we feel about the idea that, excuse you, once again, I want to I wanna thank Tuna for this. A fantastic gift. Um, Stan Shunpike, we know Stan Shunpike. I mean, he is talking about, you know, plans that the, that the Death Eaters have, but does this seem right to you? Hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's some important critical thinking that they're doing. And I wish that they had gotten some education into how to do it slightly better because I think it would have served them well. But this whole, you know, this whole, not only the story of the books, but reading the books themselves and, and knowing what one does about, uh, you know, uh, how the books have interacted with the real world. Um, critical thinking. Uh, and and how to take in information in an uh, in an adept way in an effective way, um, such that you're not simply believing everything that you hear. Um, I think that would have served all of them well. The whole wizarding world would be served well by this, and I think the uh, the the uh, Muggle world would these days, of course, as well. Um, you know, considering what sources are saying certain things, uh, how much uh, authority or expertise does that source have to say on a certain thing? Um, who does who do certain things benefit? Uh, I think uh, a lot in the way of of critical thinking could be very helpful here. But uh, yeah, what what would y'all say is the biggest grievance against critical thinking in the uh, in the stories as we've read them? Try to cover try to only cover stuff from here backwards as opposed to spoilers coming up. We've had some rough ones though. We've had some rough ones already. All right. Well, y'all talk about that. I'm gonna di I'm gonna duck back into the uh, into the chapter here. Oh boy, I don't remember where we're at. Hold on, is it this one? It is this one. Nailed it. As Harry expected, the trials took most of the morning. Half of Gryffindor House seemed to have turned up from first years who were nervously clutching a selection of the dreadful old school brooms to seventh years who were towering over the rest, looking coolly intimidating. The latter included a large, wiry-haired boy Harry recognized immediately from the Hogwarts Express. We met in the train in old Sluggy's compartment, he said confidently, stepping out of the crowd to shake Harry's hand. Gormac McCluggan, keeper. You didn't try out last year, did you? asked Harry, taking note of the breadth of McCluggan and thinking he would probably block all three gold hoops without even moving. I was in the hospital when they had the trials, said McCluggan with something of a swagger. Ate a pound of doxy eggs for a bet. Right, said Harry. Well, if you wait over there, he pointed over to the edge of the pitch, close to where Hermione was sitting. He thought he saw a flicker of annoyance passed over McCloggan's face and wondered whether McCloggan expected preferential treatment simply because they were both old Sluggy's favorites. Harry decided to start with a basic test, asking all the applicants for the team to divide into groups of ten and fly once around the pitch. This was a good decision. The first ten was made up of first years, and it could not have been plainer that they had hardly ever flown before. Only one boy managed to remain airborne for more than a few seconds, and he was so surprised, he promptly crashed into one of the goalposts. The second group was comprised of ten of the silliest girls Harry had ever encountered, who, when he blew his whistle, merely fell about giggling and clutching one another. Romilda Vane was amongst them. When he told them to leave the pitch, they did so quite cheerfully and went to sit in the stands to heckle everyone else. The third group had a pile-up halfway around the pitch. Most of the fourth-year group had come without broomsticks. The fifth group were Hufflepuffs. 
If there's anyone else here who's not from Gryffindor, roared Harry, who was starting to get seriously annoyed, leave now, please. There was a pause, and then a couple of little Ravenclaws went sprinting off up the pitch, snorting with laughter. After two hours, many complaints and several tantrums, one involving a crashed Comet 260 and several broken teeth, Harry had found himself three chasers. Katie Bell, who returned to the team after an excellent trial, a new find called Demelza Robbins, who was particularly good at dodging bludgers, and Ginny Weasley, who had outflown all the competition and soared 17 goals to boot. Pleased though he was by his choices, Harry also had shouted himself hoarse at the very many complainers and was now enduring a similar battle with the rejected beaters. It's my final decision, and if you don't get out of the way for the keepers, I'll hex you, he bellowed. Neither of his chosen beaters had the old brilliance of Fred and George, but he was still reasonably pleased with them. Jimmy Peaks, a short but broad-chested third-year boy who managed to raise a lump the size of an egg on the back of Harry's head with a ferociously hit bludger, and Richie Coote, who looked weedy but aimed well. They now joined Katie, Demelza, and Ginny in the stands to watch the selection of their last team member. You can't tell me that Jimmy Peaks and Richie Coote are not, like, from the Bronx or something. <laughs> hey, I'm Jimmy. Yeah, I'm Richie. <laughs> it's good to see you. Come on. Let's talk about this, yeah? Harry had deliberately left the trial of the keepers until last, hoping for an emptier stadium and less pressure on all concerned. Unfortunately, however, all the rejected players and a number of people who had come down to watch after a lengthy breakfast had joined the crowd now, so that it was larger than ever. As each keeper flew up to the goalpost, the crowd cheered and roared in equal measure. Excuse me roared and jeered in equal measure. Harry glanced over at Ron, who had always had a problem with nerves. Harry had hoped that winning their final match last term might have cured it, but apparently not. Ron was a delicate shade of green. Yeah, I don't think they've got any lines for you. I think you're right. Thorny, have a good one. Adios. Great to have you here. None of the first five applicants saved more than two goals apiece. To Harry's great disappointment, Cormac McLoggan saved four penalties out of five. On the last one, however, he shot off in completely the wrong direction. The crowd laughed and booed, and McLoggan returned to the ground, grinding his teeth. Ron looked ready to pass out as he mounted his clean sleep eleven. Clean sleep. <laughs> That's for you, Thorny Crane. I wish you clean sleep. Ron looked ready to pass out as he mounted his clean sweep 11. Good luck, cried a voice from the stands. Harry looked down, expecting to see Hermione, but it was Lavender Brown. He would have quite liked to have hidden his face in his hands, as she did a moment later, but thought that as the captain he ought to show slightly more grit, so he turned to watch Ron drew his trial. And yet... He need not have worried. Ron saved one, two, three, four, five penalties in a row. Delighted and resisting joining in the cheers of the crowd with difficulty, Harry returned to McLoggan to tell him that, most unfortunately, Ron had beaten him, only to find McLoggan's red face inches from his own. He stepped back hastily. His sister didn't really try, 
said McCloggan menacingly. There was a vein pulsing in his temple like the one Harry had often admired in Uncle Vernon's. She gave him an easy save. Rubbish, said Harry coldly. That was the one that he nearly missed. McCloggan took a step nearer to Harry, who stood his ground this time. You give me another go. No, said Harry. You've had your go. You saved four. Ron saved five. Ron's keeper, he won it fair and square. Get out of my way. He thought for a moment that McCloggan might punch him. But he contented himself with an ugly grimace and stormed away, growling what sounded like threats to thin air. Harry turned around to find his new team beaming at him. Well done, he croaked. You flew really well. You did brilliantly, Ron. This time it really was Hermione running down at them from the stands. Harry saw Lavender walking off the pitch, arm in arm with Parvati, a rather grumpy expression on her face. Ron looked extremely pleased with himself, and even taller than usual as he grinned at the team and at Hermione. After fixing the time of their first full practice for the following Thursday, Harry, Ron, and Hermione bade goodbye to the rest of the team and headed off toward Hagrid's. A watery sun was trying to break through the crowds, trying to break through the clouds now, and it had stopped drizzling at last. Harry felt extremely hungry. He hoped there would be something to eat at Hagrid's. I thought I was going to miss that fourth penalty, Ron was saying happily. Tricky shot from Demelza, you see. Had a bit of a spin on it. Yes, yes, you were magnificent, said Hermione, looking amused. I was better than McCluggin, anyway, said Ron, in a highly satisfied voice. Did you see him lumbering off in the wrong direction on his fifth? Looked like he'd been confounded. To Harry's surprise, Hermione turned a very deep shade of pink at these words. Ron noticed nothing. He was too busy describing each of his other penalties in loving detail. The great grey hippogriff, Buckbeak, was tethered in front of Hagrid's cabin. He clicked his razor-sharp beak at their approach and turned his huge head toward them. Oh, dear, said Hermione nervously. Oh, he's still a bit scary, isn't he? Oh, come off it, you've ridden him, haven't you? said Ron. Harry stepped forward and bowed low to the hippogriff, without breaking eye contact or blinking. After a few seconds, Buckbeak sank low into a bow, too. "'How are you?' Harry asked him in a low voice, moving forward to stroke the feathery head. "'Missing him? But you're okay here with Hagrid, aren't you?' "'Oi!' said a loud voice. Hagrid had come striding around the corner of his cabin, wearing a large flowery apron and carrying a sack of potatoes. His enormous boarhound, Fang, was at his heels. Fang gave a booming bark and bounded forward. Get away from him! He'll have your fingers! Oh, it's you lot. Fang was jumping up at Hermione and Ron, attempting to lick their ears. Hagrid stood and looked at them all for the split second, then turned and strode into his cabin, slamming the door behind him. Oh dear, said Hermione, looking stricken. Don't worry about it, said Harry grimly. He walked over to the door and knocked loudly. Hagrid, open up. We want to talk to you. There was no sound from within. If you don't open the door, we'll blast it open. 
Harry said, pulling out his wand. Harry, said Hermione, looking shocked. You can't possibly. Yeah, I can, said Harry. Stand back. But before he could say anything else, the door flew open again, and as Harry knew that it would... Uh, oh, excuse me. The door flew open again, as Harry knew that it would. And there stood Hagrid, glowering down at them, looking, despite the flowery apron, positively alarming. I'm a teacher, he roared at Harry. A teacher, Potter. How dare you threaten to break down my door? I'm sorry, sir, said Harry, emphasizing the last word as he stowed his wand inside his robes. Hagrid looked stunned. Since when have you called me sir? Since when have you called me Potter? Oh, very clever, growled Hagrid. Very amusing. Ask me how smart it, innit? All right, come inside, you ungrateful little... Mumbling darkly, he stood back to let them pass. Hermione scurried in after Harry, looking rather frightened. Well, said Hagrid grumpily, as Harry, Ron, and Hermione sat down around his enormous wooden table, Fang lying his head immediately upon Harry's knee and drooling all over his robes. What's this? Feeling sorry for me? Reckon that I'm lonely or something? No, said Harry at once. We wanted to see you. We've missed you, said Hermione tremulously. Uh, Missed me, have you? Said snorted Hagrid. (laughs) Uh, Right. He stomped around, brewing up tea in his enormous copper kettle, muttering all the while. Finally, he slammed down three bucket-sized mugs of mahogany brown tea in front of them and a plate of his rock cakes. Harry was hungry enough even for Hagrid's cooking and took one at once. Hagrid, said Hermione timidly, when he joined them at the table and started peeling his potatoes with a brutality that suggested that each tuber had done him a great personal wrong. We really wanted to carry on with care of magical creatures, you know. Hagrid gave another snort. Harry rather thought some boogies landed in the potatoes and was inwardly thankful that they were not staying for dinner. We did, said Hermione, but none of us could fit it into our schedules. Yeah, right, said Hagrid again. There was a funny squelching sound and they all looked around. Hermione let out a tiny shriek and Ron leapt out of his seat and hurried away from the table toward the large barrel stand... Oh, excuse me. Ron leapt out of his seat and hurried around the table away from the large barrel standing in the corner that they had only just noticed. It was full of what looked like foot-long maggots, slimy, white, and writhing. "'What are they, Hagrid?' asked Harry, trying to sound interested rather than revolted, but putting down his rock cake all the same. "'Just giant grubs,' said Hagrid. "'And they grow into,' said Ron, looking apprehensive. They won't grow into nothing, said Hagrid. I got him to feed the Aragog. And without warning, he burst into tears. Hagrid, cried Hermione, leaping up, hurrying around the long table uh, to avoid the barrel of maggots and putting an arm around his shaking shoulders. What is it? It's him, gulped Hagrid, his beetle-black eyes streaming as he mopped his face with his apron. It's Aragog. I think he's dying. He got ill over the summer, and he's not getting better. I don't know what I'll do if he... If he... If, 
We've been together for so long. Hermione patted Hagrid's shoulder, looking at a complete loss for anything to say. Harry knew how she felt. He had known Hagrid to present a vicious baby dragon with a teddy bear, seen him croon over giant scorpions with suckers and stingers, attempt to reason with his brutal giant of a half-brother, but this was perhaps the most incomprehensible of his monster fancies. A gigantic talking spider, Aragog, who dwelled deep in the Forbidden Forest, and which he and Ron had only narrowly escaped four years previously. Is there... Is there anything that we can do? Hermione asked, ignoring Ron's frantic grimaces and head shakings. I don't think there is, Hermione, choked Hagrid, attempting to stem the flood of his tears. You see... Or the rest of the tribe, Aragog's family, are getting a, a bit funny now that he's ill. A bit restive. Yeah, I think we saw a bit to that side of him, said Ron in an undertone. Oh, you don't reckon it'll be safe for anyone but me to go near the colony at the moment? Hagrid finished, blowing his nose hard on his apron and looking up. Uh, thanks for offering, Hermione. It means a lot. After that... The atmosphere lightened considerably, for although neither Harry nor Ron had shown any inclination to go and feed giant grubs to a murderous, gargantuan spider, Hagrid seemed to take it for granted that they would have liked to have done and became his usual self once more. Uh, I always knew that you'd find it hard to squeeze me into your timetables, he said gruffly, pouring some more tea. Even if you applied for time-turners. We couldn't have done, said Hermione. We smashed the entire stock of Ministry Time Turners when we were there last summer. It was in the Daily Prophet. Ah, well then, said Hagrid. No way you could have done it. I'm sorry that I've been... You know, I've just been worried about Aragog. And I did wonder whether if Professor Grubbly Plank had been teaching you... At which point all three of them stated categorically and untruthfully that Professor Grubbly Plank, who had substituted for Hagrid a few times, was a dreadful teacher. And that the result... Uh, with the result that by the time Hagrid waved them off of the premises at dusk, he looked quite cheerful. I'm starving, said Harry, once the door had closed behind them and they were hurrying back through the dark and deserted grounds. It had abandoned... He had abandoned the rock cake after an ominous cracking noise from one of his back teeth. And I've got that detention with Snape tonight. I haven't got much time for dinner. They came back into the castle and spotted Cormac McLoggan entering the Great Hall. It took him two attempts to get through the doors. He ricocheted off the frame in the first attempt. Ron merely guffawed gloatingly and strode off into the hall after him. But Harry caught Hermione's arm and held her back. What? said Hermione defensively. If you ask me, said Harry quietly, McCloggan looks like he was confounded this morning, and he was standing right in front of where you were sitting. Hermione blushed. Carzi, adios. Have a good one. All right. I did it she whispered. But you should have heard the way that he was talking about Ron and Ginny. Anyway, he's got a nasty temper. You saw how he reacted when he didn't get in. You wouldn't have wanted someone like that on the team. No, said Harry. No, I suppose that's true, but that's 
Dishonest, wasn't it, Hermione? I mean, you're a prefect, aren't you? Oh, be quiet, she snapped as he smirked. What are you two doing? demanded Ron, reappearing in the doorway to the great hall and looking suspicious. Nothing, said Harry and Hermione together, and they hurried after Ron. The smell of roast beef made Harry's stomach ache with hunger, but they had barely taken three steps toward Gryffindor table when Professor Slughorn appeared in front of them, blocking their path. Oh, Harry, just the man I was hoping to see, he boomed genially, twiddling the ends of his walrus mustache and puffing out his enormous belly. I was hoping to catch you before dinner. What do you say to a spot of supper tonight? In my rooms instead, we're having a little party, just a few rising stars. Got McCloggan coming and Zabini, the charming Melinda Bobbin. I didn't know whether you know her. The family owns a large chain of apothecaries. And of course, I hope very much that Miss Granger will favor me by coming too. <laughs> Glad you enjoy, Freya. Slughorn made Hermione a little bow as he finished speaking. It was as though Ron was not present. Slughorn did not so much as look at him. "'I can't come, Professor,' said Harry at once. "'I've got a detention with Professor Snape.' "'Oh, dear,' said Slughorn, his face falling comically. "'Dear, dear, I was counting on you, Harry. "'Well, now, just have to have a word with Severus and explain the situation.' I'm sure I'll be able to persuade him to postpone your detention. Yes, I will see you both later. He bustled away out of the hall. <laughs> He's got no chance of persuading Snape, said Harry, the moment Slughorn was out of earshot. This detention has already been postponed once. Snape did it for Dumbledore. He won't do it for anyone else. Oh, I wish that you could come. I don't want to go on my own, said Hermione anxiously. Harry knew she was thinking about McCloggan. Aren't we all? <laughs> I doubt you'll be alone. Ginny will probably be invited, snapped Ron, who didn't seem to have been... who didn't seem to have taken kindly to being ignored by Slughorn. After dinner, they made their way back to Gryffindor Tower. The common room was very crowded, as most people had finished dinner by now, but they managed to find a free table and sat down. Ron, who had been in a bad mood ever since the encounter with Slughorn, folded his arms and frowned at the ceiling. Hermione reached out for a copy of The Evening Prophet, which somebody had left upon a chair. Anything new? said Harry. Not really. Hermione had opened the newspaper and was scanning the inside pages. Oh, look, your dad's in here, Ron. He's all right, she added quickly, for Ron had looked around in alarm. It just says that he's been to visit the Malfoy's house. This second search of the Death Eater's residence does not seem to have yielded any results. Arthur Weasley, of the Office for Detection and Confiscation of Counterfeit Defensive Spells and Protective Objects, said that his team has been acting off of a confidential tip-off. Yeah, mine, said Harry. I told him about that at King's Cross, that the Malfoy... Good grief. <laughs> I told him at King's Cross about Malfoy and that thing that he was trying to get Borgin to fix. Well, if it's not at their house, he must have brought it, whatever it is, to Hogwarts with him. How can you have done, Harry? said Hermione, putting down the newspaper with a surprised look. We were all searched when we arrived, weren't we? Were you? said Harry, taken aback. I wasn't. No, 
That's right, of course you weren't. You arrived late, I forgot. Well, Filch ran over all of us with secrecy sensors when we got into the entrance hall. Any dark objects would have been found. I know for a fact that Crab had a shrunken head confiscated. So you see, Malfoy can't have brought in anything dangerous. Momentarily stymied, Harry watched Ginny Weasley playing with Arnold the Pygmy Puff for a while before seeing a way around this objection. Someone has sent it to him by owl, then, he said. His mother or someone. All of the owls are being checked, said Hermione. Filch told us so when he was jabbing those secrecy sensors anywhere that he could reach. Really stumped this time, Harry found nothing else to say. There didn't seem to be any way that Malfoy could have brought a dark or dangerous object into the school. He looked hopefully at Ron, who was sitting with his arms folded, staring over at Lavender Brown. Can you think of any way that Malfoy... Oh, drop it, Harry, said Ron. Listen, it's not my fault that Slughorn invited Hermione and me to his stupid party. Neither of, once, neither of us wanted to go, you know, said Harry, firing up. Well, as I'm not invited to any parties, said Ron, getting to his feet again, I think I'll go to bed. He stomped off toward the boys' dormitories, leaving Harry and Hermione staring after him. Let's see, what kind of voice do we like for Demelza Robbins? Um, uh, Demelza Robbins. Hmm. <laughs> We've just got the one line here. Maybe we can arrive on something for later. Oh, no. I mean, she got a few lines here. Might as well sort something out. It's the very end of the chapter here. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn. Could I manage an Audrey Hepburn? My lovely assistant is suggesting... Uh, um... <laughs> Canadian and Odd Man is suggesting Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> Feed me, Seymour. I think I would make a decent Audrey voice. Elmo, come on. <laughs> don't. That's awful. I don't like to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Um. Yes. Hey, why not? I have. I've never tried uh, South African with a female voice. Okay, let's give it a shot. Harry, said the new chaser, Demelza Robbins, appearing suddenly at his shoulder. I've got a message for you. Don't, don't forget. It takes me a little while to settle into it. I'll find it. From Professor Slughorn? Asked Harry, sitting up, hopefully. Um, oh boy, it's tough. No, it's from Professor Snipe, said Demelza. Harry's heart sank. He says that you have to come to his office at half past eight tonight to, you, to do your detention. Uh, no matter how many parties you've been invited to. And he wanted you to know that you'll be sorting out rotten flubberworms from good ones, so uh, to use in potions. And he says that there's no need to bring protective gloves. Right, said Harry firmly. Thanks a lot, Demelza. And that's the end of the chapter. Like an aggressive Ginny, yeah. It's uh, I'm I'm not. It's it's one of the ones that I enjoy doing the most because it's unique, but uh, it's not one that I would consider myself excellent at. Um, 
I know, I don't want it to be over either. Don't forget, folks, there is plenty of other sidecar stuff to enjoy during the week. Um, on Wednesday, uh, it's definitely a mature stream um, because of the subject matter that's discussed. Don't forget, um, we are running through, well, we'll go through the schedule here. But Wednesday, um, we're running through uh, Disco Elysium, which is a fantastic game. On Thursdays, we have got... Um, uh, chat plays Dungeon World, and we are going through an excellent story right now. I was a little nervous about it at first, but the story has turned out to be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we can always use more pilots in to, which is what I've taken to calling people as they join the various teams. Um, y'all are piloting those three characters, so those are for you to decide what y'all want to do with. So if you want to jump in, it's on Thursdays uh, at 1 p.m. Pacific time, so whatever time the Harry Potter stream starts for you, three hours before then. So... I would love to have you there. It's the project of mine right now that I am the most excited about. Um, it's a fantastic uh, game system. It's called Dungeon World. Um, it's like a simpler version of Dungeons and Dragons, but it offers a lot of really interesting variation and uh, a lot of dynamic, interesting gameplay. And the story is super cool. I'm, I'm very proud of it. I've been happy with it so far. So, folks, this is the end of the session. This is the end of the stream, which means it's beans time. My lovely assistant is waiting in the wings, looking at me, uh, just really uncomfortably, honestly. She's looking like she's trying to spy on me. Oh, she's listening. She, she's listening deeply to our cat, ear pressed against her belly. Oh, what just happened? Oh, good Lord. Oh, I highlighted something in my action bar and it just closed down my entire cast window. That was, I mean, it would have been at the end of the chapter. Probably fine. Freya says, is it just me or is giving time turners to students very irresponsible? Imagine one ending up in Fred and George's hands. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, they talked a little bit about the lengths that uh, both Professor McGonagall and Hermione had to go through to get one for her. And uh, yeah, especially now, it's going to be particularly difficult to get one's hands on them. It's beans time, folks. Beans, beans, the musical fruit. ra ta ra beans. Okay, now I have to do a quick check on something. Oh, you always open it and then fan it at me, and it's awful. You're getting low, my guy. I am. I'm going to have to order more soon. Fortunately, those are looking... Well, honestly, they just look pale. I see a lot of white ones, and I realize, as I'm saying it, that doesn't mean that they're going to be marshmallow. It means that they're going to be either marshmallow or terrible. All right. I see. Popcorn or egg. Is it popcorn? Oh, I guess it must be. Anyhow, yeah, that's uh, the worst it's beans time. And uh, I have not, I've checked both uh, Twitter and Instagram. I haven't seen any extra hashtag shares, so on, we're just doing five today. Um, but for any of y'all who promote the show uh, specifically or, uh, and of course it would be in a way that I have to, have to find it. So it would have to probably be like a tag of me or, or the um hashtag hp out loud um that is what i'm using to to track shares and stuff so if you share something with that if you you know retweet anything of, of mine with that reshare anything of mine with that um that's extra beans so keep that in mind for this week the clock starts now so if you do it now i'll see i'll see it for next week so it's beans time let's get beans started this is where unfortunately i have not uh, put my hair back officially i've just stuffed it up into my hat here so it's gonna be super wonky Ah, ow. Have a good one, Ima. Hmm. Okay. There is. It's like I think it's the tutti frutti one. 
It's just kind of bubblegum like, and I'm pretty sure we landed on Tutti Fruity for that one last time. I'm calling it. Yeah. Tootsie Fruity. Yeah. For any Craig Ferguson yeah. fans. I like it myself. Boom. Put one on the board, Michaela. Get it up there. I don't even know if Michaela's here today. <laughs> Fortunately, that one is close enough to the name that I don't mind slipping up on it. Although, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be in the habit of calling people by their handles. McQuay, thank you. Always here for the beans. Their handles. I appreciate that reminder. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's go. Bean number two. Once again, a reminder of our schedule for the week. Uh, on Wednesday, we were running through Disco Elysium. It's an excellent sci-fi game. Um, oh, good lord. I don't know why that startled me. I should have known. <laughs> I'm coming for you. Open ah. your dang mouth. You missed. No. I could have switched it out with a different data. bean. I did. I got a, I got some tactile data from that. No. I can tell by the feel that All it's... All right. Asterisks, Michaela. Oh, boy. It's already sour, and I haven't even bit into it yet. This is going to suck. I don't... Mmm. Mmm. I'm having a hard time telling. You don't think I've had this one before? Honestly, it does kind of taste new. Um, hmm. So it's got a weird, like, sort of lime acidity to it. I don't think it's supposed to be a bad one. I think it's just a really acidic fruit of some kind. So I'm going to go with... I'm just going to have to pick an acidic fruit. Like, yeah, I'm seeing lemon up there, but I don't think that's it. It's something it's slightly more exotic. <laughs> oh, what is it? I do think it's supposed to be a good one. I'm going to go with not lime. It's got some, it's got like an additional like fruit sweetness to it, like pineapple or something. Heck with it. I'll go pineapple. Why not? So it's either the smoothie. Okay. Which I'm guessing it's not. I mean, it's not a bad one. Is it banana? I don't think so. It, there might be, it might be banana-ish. Yeah. Because otherwise it's dead fish. It's not dead fish. It was definitely a good one. Describe dead fish as not bad, slightly limey. Mm. No, that was just a boy. That was a much more powerful version of the uh, more strawberry the other ones. Either. I don't think you've had a dead fish one. I've had it once before. I had it one time. I called it rotten fish. I remember that specifically because I got an asterisk for it, which was dumb. Lockable sugar. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I need a green one so my head disappears. That would be kind of funny. Um, and uh, Jujubee says, the Supper Carlin, oh, Super Carlin Brothers will be having a Harry Potter trivia night tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that was two, right? Yep. All right, number three. Um... As per usual, uh, I want to encourage y'all to check out, if you've got any interest whatsoever in tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, if you've ever been curious about shows like, uh, thank you very much, about cr uh, like Critical Role or uh, Role Play or Dimension 20, we've got our own show for that. And not only do we have our own show, but you can play as the characters. This is going to be a terrible one. Why, it's, it's that smoky weirdness that I hate. <laughs> the smoky weird. It's a weird, like, smoky... That's flavor that's really bad um but uh it's chat plays dungeon world we play it uh three hours before whatever time this starts for you uh the harry potter stream so uh rewind from three hours from the start of this stream for you or 1 p.m pacific standard time you can jump into the discord and find all the information about that oh this is so bad 
I think it might be because they're slightly warmed, but all of them have been really powerful. Okay, um, my warm hands. No, thank you. Do you turn the air off? There's lava in here. We're covered in lava. Okay, so I'm getting. I think I'm getting a little bit of dish soap. What is the smoky one? I knew what the smoky one was at some point. Mmm. Um, shoot, what was it? What was the smoky one? I can't look at chat right now. I don't, booger? I don't know. There was a taste that, that to me is always read as smoky, that for some reason isn't, or maybe it's like stinky sock or something. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go booger. It is stink bug. Stink bug! Dang it! That's what it was! Did anybody guess? No. No. The, the sausage one doesn't taste smoky. Weirdly. Um, wait, one out of three. I got. Th did I get two out of three? No. No? No, you're right. You're right. Okay. Ugh. Yeah, my own invisibility hat. Well, I mean, hey, I, I mean, I can invisibility cloak up anytime I need to. Where'd he go? <laughs> Straight up. That's I'm, actually what he does. I'm gone. When it's just the, the front screen, he's just hiding behind his green screen. So that he's not sitting there. All right. My front screen? Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> I'm here the whole time. When I get five-minute breaks, I set a timer for five minutes on my phone. And then I sit there behind the curtain. And I stare at you. That's so... so <laughs> All right, let's do it. I'm still alive, guys. Don't worry. It's not a murderer. Bean trace. Ah. There we go. It's not... It's not, either, like, it's not either of us being the killer I'm worried about. It's the cats. They're going to get us. Ah. Thank you. 100%. I take beans and I, I go invisible. Ow. Look, I can even... I'm not looking at chat. Oh, I'm getting that grass texture. See, I can even get right up secretly on the mic and you'll think I'm very close to you. Except the bookshelf gets so, so foggy. Does it? Why? That's weird. Why is that? Oh, it's just because it doesn't have anything else to focus on, so it tries to readjust. Um, okay. This one's terrible. This one's booger. That's what this one is. Booger. It's booger. I was right. I poke you in the in the sternum then. Poke you in the shoulder. Don't poke me ever. <laughs> Ugh. Rough. That one I got correct though. Put it on the board, Michaela. Thank you. Mm. Super bad. <laughs> Mr. Foo says I'm uncomfortable with how well you remember the previous beans. Uh my friend, I am also uncomfortable with it. Let's get our last bean out of the way, shall we? Of course, every Thursday we find ourselves right here for Harry Potter. Um, we are plowing along. Man, this has gone quickly. Um, and meanwhile, my personal read through with my uh, with my lovely assistant here has gone so slowly. We still haven't finished our read through of the books. We are still on the very last, like, like last three chapters. We're in a super sad spot and like between the stuff going on in my life or, you know, stuff that might be going on in her life at the time or just overall what's going on in the world right now. Like, I just didn't want to sit down and read something sad. So, I don't, there we go. Hmm. This one fortunately seems like it's a decently good one. What do we got? I'm once again getting that a big burst of fruit flavor. This is um this is peach. 
I win. I win. And that's it for the beans today, folks. Remember, y'all can incur additional beans by sharing the hashtag HP out loud or otherwise promoting the show in a way that I can find. Obviously, I'll have to be able to do that. Um, but I really, really appreciate you all for being here, for sharing this with other people, because this has been a great part of my week every week. And uh, I am very, very glad that I've been able to share it with all of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, all the uh, bad beans mixed together. It's not it's not a great one. But folks, uh, once I get my streaming set up, busted down for the night. I will be in Discord. We'll be talking about uh, Harry Potter-related discussion stuff, um, probably related to squibs and casting a uh, Harry Potter TV show, I imagine. If I were to imagine anything, it would be that. But quite, quite, thank you very much for that, well, that horrifying bean. But uh, I appreciate you all so much. I'm glad to have you all here. Um, uh, the Y'all in the Scooter Patrol have made this uh, just an excellent time. And really... Uh, I think, I, I think my, my quarantine would have suffered without this, having a chance to get in contact with additional people because boy, do I love her so much, but man, am I also an extrovert? So my week is always better when I get a chance to interact with just a bunch of people. It's simply a numbers game. <laughs> So thank you very much for being here with me. Um, thank you, Mr. Foose, for uh, collecting a lot of our images for today and for the past couple of weeks and for the next few weeks as well. Um, and uh, thank you very much to, uh, of course, um, I don't believe she's in the uh, in the stream today, but um, uh, boy, I, don't, I know you by so many names at this point. I don't know what to call you even, but... Uh, Let's see, I'll go by Putty Pants because that's what you go by in here. Thank you so much. Uh, she has done the artwork for the channel um, and I appreciate that an awful lot. So thank you for the stream tonight. I will see y'all later. And uh, don't forget, uh, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific time, it's not a stream, it's just a uh, spout lore session. Um, so it'll be a discussion on Discord. If you want to jump in as that for your starting point uh, into Chat Plays Dungeon World, tally-ho, go for it. It'll be a little odd, but I, I welcome you all. Have a great night, folks. Bye-bye.